Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 14 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. The daughter of William and Ethel, Edith Jessie Graydon was born on Christmas Day 1893. Edith, the eldest of five children, had a comfortable upbringing with her sister and three younger brothers on Norfolk Road in Dalston, London. Her father's income from his job as a dispatch clerk at a tobacco company eventually afforded the family of seven the ability to move east to Manor Park. Edith had a close relationship with her sister Avis, who was of a similar age. There was almost a decade between them and their younger brothers. Being the eldest, Edith grew up fast and started working when she was young. She excelled in her job in a time where there was no expectation for women to be in employment. And if they did work, it was presumed they would leave their job when they married. In her early 20s, she became the chief buyer at a fabric and garment importer. 
she had proved to be a perfect fit for her job. Young Edith was elegant and ambitious. She had been dating Percy Thompson since she was 15, and their wedding was approaching. Percy Thompson worked as a shipping clerk in central London. He was an avid gardener and a stringent elocutionist. He was born a few years before Edith on April 10th, 1890. Percy was one of four siblings. He had sisters and a younger brother. His mother was widowed when Percy was 13. The oldest boy in the house developed a serious and responsible attitude, seeing himself as the man of the family. By the time Percy was 21, he had started his career in the shipping business. But four years later, on December 10th, 1915, aged 25, Percy Thompson enlisted in the army. Not long after Percy enrolled in the armed forces, he married Edith Graydon. The ceremony was held on January 15th, 1916 at St Barnabas Church in Manor Park. Edith's sister Avis was the bridesmaid, while Percy's brother Richard was the best man. The couple had dated for seven years and at the time, marriage seemed like the right thing to do. The next step. But it was said that young Edith, at 22, had doubts about committing herself to Percy for the long term. On the morning of the wedding, she almost did not make it to the ceremony, confessing to her sister Avis, I can't go through with it. At this juncture, her father thought it was too late for his daughter to get cold feet and change her mind. He told Edith, You must go. Everybody is at the church waiting for you. William's daughter overcame her doubts and went through with the wedding. The newly married couple moved into a rental property and not long after, they relocated to Kensington Gardens in Ilford, purchasing a sizeable eight-room villa. Percy assumed they would need the space for a growing family there were issues with the marriage. Two people wanting different things. Edith Thompson's job meant trips to Paris and a high salary. What's more, Percy had been discharged from the army for being medically unfit. It was claimed due to his health, Percy would not make an efficient soldier. His discharge papers mentioned fainting fits since his teenage years frequent attacks of giddiness, laboured breathing whenever he exercised, and he was unable to march. Percy Thompson's pride was dented. He wanted his wife to conform to the social norms of the 1920s and quit her job. Edith Thompson refused. And other issues were festering in their young marriage, 
specifically what a woman was expected to do in that era. Percy wanted to have children. Edith did not. She would rather work hard, socialise and go out dancing in the evening. In contrast, Percy was not interested in such activities. It was a strange pairing, and one it would later be suggested was brought about by the First World War. Countless young men in Edith Thompson's age group were away serving their country. It has been alleged this perhaps influenced Edith's decision as to who she became romantically involved with. By all accounts, Percy was enamoured with Edith, but the feeling never seemed mutual. Edith and Percy arranged a night out on October 3rd, 1922. They were going to the Criterion Theatre in Piccadilly Circus to see the 8.30pm showing of the play The Dippers. They were frequent theatre-goers, and Edith enjoyed dancing. While Percy tagged along, due to his health problems, he was never able to join his wife for a dance. As the evening came to a close, the couple hopped on the 11.30 train from Liverpool Street. Around an hour later, on foot, they entered Belgrave Road in Ilford. The couple were not even 100 yards from their front door when a shadowy figure appeared and shoved Edith to the ground. In the darkness, Edith Thompson was dazed, and later recounted how she was nearly knocked out by the hard push from a man in a trilby hat and overcoat. An argument erupted between her husband and her attacker. Why don't you get a divorce from your wife, you cat? The assailant shouted. Percy responds with as much venom. I've got her, and I'll keep her and I'll shoot you. The man produces a knife and stabs Percy with the six-inch blade multiple times. Percy receives two severe wounds to the right side of his neck. A female voice echoes through the evening air loud enough for witnesses to hear. Don't do it. Percy pulls himself up, managing a mere 20 yards before his injuries get the better of him and he crumples, collapsing on the pavement. Percy's wife shouts, My God, my God, will you help me? My husband is ill and bleeding. Will you fetch a doctor? Hearing the cries for help, members of the public rush to her aid along with a physician from a neighbouring street. Percy Thompson passed away in front of his wife, not far from his own home. During his impromptu examination, the doctor guessed the cause of the young man's death as hemorrhage. Perhaps it was too dark for the physician to observe the deep and deadly wounds to Percy's neck and the gashes to his face. Edith Thompson did not correct the misguided doctor. 
In fact, she saw an opportunity to get her lover off the hook. She ran with the diagnosis, claiming that she was walking with her husband and he just collapsed with blood seeping from his mouth. It has been reported that Edith Thompson was distraught and was treated kindly. With the doctor's brief examination and Percy Thompson's issues with his heart, it initially appeared to just be an awful, unavoidable, natural death. When she got home, Edith informed her brother-in-law of the tragic news and told him Percy's heart issues had killed him. In a way, she was right. It was issues of the heart that ended Percy Thompson's life. A dangerous love triangle had formed 16 months earlier. The Thompsons were not the only people in their marriage. Former lodger Frederick Edward Francis Bywaters, known as Freddie, grew up near Edith Thompson in Manor Park, London. Bywaters had crossed paths with Edith many years before when she was 18 and he was 10. He went to school with Edith Thompson's younger siblings. When he was just 15, Bywaters ran away to join the Navy. He then found work as a laundry steward aboard a ship, Maria. As he had matured, Bywaters was known to be handsome, well turned out and now, due to his job, well travelled. When he was on shore leave in January 1920, he visited his old friends and Edith Thompson was there. Now both adults and with Bywaters approaching his twenties, a spark with Edith was ignited. Unaware of the blossoming interest between his wife and the young sailor, Percy also struck up a friendship with Bywaters. They were such good friends, in fact, that the Thompsons invited both Frederick Bywaters and Edith's sister Avis on holiday with them to the Isle of Wight. Bywaters shared some interests with Percy Thompson, sailing being one. And as it transpired in June 1921, when staying in Shanklin, a village on the Isle of Wight, Edith Thompson was the second thing they had in common. On a day out to the seaside town of Ventnor, Edith Thompson and Frederick Bywaters secretly shared their first kiss, and that's where the affair began. In a photograph taken on this trip, the three are positioned in a way that symbolises how they then live the rest of their lives. Edith in the middle, Percy and Bywaters on either side. Percy is pictured relaxing, lying on the beach. He beams at the camera. The other two are not so happy, staring out to sea. Frederick Bywaters is resting his head on Edith's hip and her hand is in his hair. 
a sign of affection that maybe Percy Thompson did not notice. Photographs would not be developed for some time. If Percy was aware, it is unlikely he would have invited Bywaters to lodge at the Thompsons' home in Kensington Gardens until he was at sea again, saving Bywaters from having to move back in with his mother in Upper Norwood. Bywaters happily accepted the invitation, and it was at the Thompsons' home where he and Edith were intimate. As the affair was happening directly under Percy's nose, it was not a secret for long. Bywaters would outstay his welcome. In August, an argument broke out. Suspicions of infidelity were the cause. Percy Thompson struck his wife, and Frederick Bywaters ran to her aid, stepping between the two to stop any further violence. Bywaters would subsequently leave, and Edith's marriage limped on as Percy refused a divorce. However, her affair with Bywaters was far from over. She discreetly exchanged impassioned letters with her lover while he was at sea. October 5th, 1922, a day after Percy Thompson's death. A post-mortem made it abundantly clear Percy did not just keel over and die after suffering a heart attack. When detectives began to piece together the killing in cold blood, it was not hard for them to figure out the cause. Richard Thompson, Percy's brother, who rushed to his siblings' home the night Percy was murdered, was the first person to be interviewed. It was then Frederick Bywater's name was mentioned. Investigators quickly determined a motive. Officers arrested Edith Thompson and Frederick Bywater's around the same time. Edith was at home and Bywater's was on shore leave. It is theorised that Bywater's believed he would be back on his ship and far away from London by the time police figured out what had happened. The plot was a puzzle that seemed all too easy to piece together, but Edith Thompson claimed to be a damsel in distress, dismissing any knowledge of Frederick Bywater's intention to murder her husband. She argued she was merely a witness, However, investigators were collecting evidence to try to prove otherwise. What they found led them to charge Edith Thompson with conspiracy to commit murder. October 6th. Edith Thompson and Frederick Bywaters first appeared in court. At the remand hearing, Bywaters, who always dressed impeccably, wore a fashionable blue flannel pinstripe three-piece suit, shirt and tie. On the other hand, Edith Thompson was not given the opportunity to change her clothes since her husband's murder in the early hours of October 4th. She was clothed in the same brown coat with a real mole fur collar and fur hat to match 
a grey silk dress and white gloves meant for a joyous evening out at the theatre, were now being worn for a court appearance. The hearing was short and routine, confirming the names and addresses of the accused. It was no surprise that on such serious charges, Edith Thompson and Frederick Bywaters were told they would continue to be held in custody. October 9th, 1922. The police and several council officials undertook a search around the scene to find the murder weapon. As they slowly expanded the search area sifting through the mud in a nearby sewer in Seymour Gardens, they found something. A dagger stained with blood. A day after the discovery, on October 10th, Percy Thompson was laid to rest in the City of London Cemetery. A brass plate on the coffin lid bore the following inscription. Percy Thompson died the 4th of October 1922, aged 32 years. October 24th. As police searched Frederick Bywater's home in Norwood, it was reported they found 24 letters. Most of them were kept in a wooden sailor's box. Bywaters had even been carrying some on his person when he was arrested. And what's more, further correspondence was discovered hidden away in a small box where Edith worked. It was clear they bore some sentimental value, and Edith could not part with them. The three letters from Bywaters had been folded neatly and squirrelled away from the prying eyes of her husband. From the numerous letters written by Edith Thompson, detectives learned that she was enthusiastic about reading and encouraged Bywaters to read too. He often picked up a new book when he reached the shore. Bywaters would also receive several telegrams and messages from Edith Thompson when they could not meet. They arranged lunches together while Edith's husband Percy was none the wiser. The couple would often be seen together by friends and acquaintances, enjoying each other's company arm in arm. In one of the letters penned by Edith Thompson, she expressed her frustrations with the situation she found herself in and also documented her feelings of entrapment in her marriage. Thompson tells Bywaters that someone she worked with told her husband that she had not worked late or on weekends since the previous year, contradicting what Thompson told Percy when she was away spending time with her lover. Thompson addresses each letter to Bywaters as darling. She signs the letters as P.D., perhaps a pet name that Bywaters had given her. A section read, I've surrendered to him unconditionally now. Do you understand me? I think it's the best way to disarm any suspicions. 
In fact, he has several times asked me if I'm happy now. And I have said yes, quite. But you know that's not true, don't you? Another letter describes an incident when Edith Thompson was in bed with her husband. He had acquired a prescription for his insomnia, which contained morphine. The bottle was later found among his possessions. Edith wrote, Darling, you must do something this time. I'm not really impatient, but opportunities come and go by. They have to because I am helpless, and I think and think and think. At about 2am he woke me up and asked me for water as he felt ill. I got it for him and asked him what was the matter, and this is what he told me. He said someone he knows in town had given him a prescription for a draft for insomnia, and he had it made up and had taken it and it made him ill. He certainly looked ill and his eyes were glassy. I think perhaps that it might be useful at some future time. What do you think, darling? It was apparent Percy had suspected his wife and Frederick Bywaters were still having an affair. The marriage was filled with tension. A segment from another letter described an unsettling conversation between the couple. We had... Was it a row? Anyway, a very heated argument again last night. It started through the usual source. I resisted and he wanted to know why. Since you went away in August, I was different. Had I transferred my affections from you to him? Darling, it's a great temptation to say yes, but I did not. He said we were cunning, the pair of us, and lots of other things that I forget. Also that I told lies about not knowing you were coming home on that Saturday. He said, has he written to you since he has been away? And when I said no, he said, that's another lie. Of course, he can't know for certain. You know, darling, I'm beginning to think I've gone wrong in the way I manage this affair. I think perhaps it would have been better had I acquiesced in everything he said and did or wanted to do. At least it would have disarmed any suspicion he might have. And that would have been better if we have to use drastic measures, darling. Understand. The handwritten letters were accompanied by newspaper clippings about the murders of spouses. One article explicitly mentions poisoning. Thompson wrote about how she could kill her husband possibly crushing up light bulb glass and concealing it in mashed potato, which Percy would then eat for dinner. Unluckily for Edith Thompson, along with writing about her unhappiness, when she put pen to paper, she also documented a plan to murder. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code among us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. Percy Thompson's body was exhumed just three weeks after he was laid to rest. His remains were re-examined on Friday, November 3rd by renowned pathologist Sir Bernard Spilsbury. His report would become relevant evidence in the case against Edith Thompson. Spilsbury documented the injuries Percy Thompson suffered. Quote, there were three stab wounds on the body, each a clean-cut wound having a surface measurement of one to two inches. One wound was situated on the right side of the neck a short distance below and behind the angle of the jaw. It passed upwards and inwards and penetrated into the floor of the mouth. The third wound was situated on the right side of the neck, a short distance below and in front of the second wound. It passed directly inwards as far as the esophagus in which there was a long cut. The right common carotid artery was opened in this wound. 
There were several superficial cuts on the front of the abdomen and on the right arm. Concluding his autopsy report, Spilsbury addressed Edith Thompson's plot to put crushed-up glass in her husband's food. The cause of death was heart failure due to loss of blood from the three stab wounds in the neck, the principal wound being the one which has opened the carotid artery. I found no indications of poisoning, and no changes suggestive of previous attempts of poisoning. I detected no glass in the contents of the intestine. The fatty disease of the heart, muscle, liver and kidney may have resulted from disease, but no disease was found in the body which would account for these changes. It was surmised that Edith Thompson was playing into her fantasies when she wrote to her lover. Or maybe she was goading him to take over when she could not witness her husband choking to death on glass. Thursday, November 9th, 1922. The Scotsman newspaper reported that Edith Thompson and Frederick Bywaters were once again reunited, albeit briefly at a further remand hearing. Their demeanours were said to be at odds. Bywaters was smiling as he scanned the room, and Edith Thompson's mood appeared as heavy as the fur coat she was wearing. The pair were to be held in custody until the trial. proving once again that true crime is not just a modern fascination. The crowd had amassed early at 4am on that winter morning of December 6, 1922, desperate to witness the trial. Members of the public pushed and prodded as they fought to get in. Every spectator was hopeful of gaining a ringside seat in the courtroom. Some people paid for the privilege handing over large sums of cash, which would be £250 in today's money. The judge presiding over the trial was Mr Justice Shearman. He was known to be stern and moralistic. Both Edith Thompson and Frederick Bywaters pleaded not guilty. Witnesses took the stand one by one. Dora Pittard, who was walking home the night Percy Thompson was stabbed, said a woman she believed to be Edith Thompson came running towards her. Thompson was crying and shouting for help. The witness asked the flustered stranger what happened as they approached Percy Thompson lying on the floor. Edith Thompson replied, I don't know. Someone flew past, and as I turned to speak to him, blood was pouring out of his mouth. Another witness in Ilford that night ran to the scene after he heard a woman scream, Don't do it. John Webber went to investigate what was going on and saw a bloodied man lying on the ground. 
The doctor who initially viewed Percy Thompson's body was also called to testify. Dr. Noel Maudsley was unprepared for the situation when he attended the scene. Maudsley only had the flickering light from a match to illuminate the victim's face. The doctor believed the man had been dead for approximately 10 minutes and surprisingly did not notice any stab wounds at the time. It was a police surgeon who first identified the deep injuries in Percy Thompson's neck. The weapon had severed an artery and the wound was said to have been made by an attacker who stood behind his victim. Against her counsel's advice, Edith Thompson wanted to speak on her own behalf, so she entered the witness box. Thompson denied poisoning her husband, a claim that was backed up by the post-mortem. No poison or glass was traced in Percy's intestines. However, this piece of evidence was never presented at the trial. And unfortunately for the defendant, Edith Thompson had to explain to the court why poisonous powders were found in the house. At a time when abortions were illegal, she confessed to having used the concoctions to twice induce a miscarriage. In a case where a woman was painted as the instigator leading a younger man astray, almost forcing him to murder her husband, the admission did not go down well in court, particularly when it seemed her letters were the only evidence that confirmed she was involved. The judge spoke of his outrage that a married woman would have an affair. Frequently throughout the trial, Frederick Bywater's counsel emphasised his client's youth, and although he highlighted that Edith Thompson was much older, the barrister did not explicitly imply she had led her younger co-defendant astray. Bywater's was firm and insistent when he spoke in the dock. He said he acted alone, and Edith Thompson had nothing to do with the murder of her husband. His account of what happened that night was as follows. I waited for Mrs. Thompson and her husband. I pushed her to one side, also pushing him into the street. We struggled. I took my knife from my pocket and we fought and he got the worst of it. The reason I fought with Thompson was because he never acted like a man to his wife. He always seemed several degrees lower than a snake. I loved her, and I could not go on seeing her leading that life. I did not intend to kill him. I only meant to injure him. I gave him the opportunity of standing up to me like a man. But he wouldn't. As he summed up the case, it was clear what the judge thought of Edith Thompson, describing her actions as vulgar. Illicit love may lead to crime, Mr Justice Shearman told the jury. You must not, of course, let your disgust carry you too far. You will not convict her unless you are satisfied that she and he agreed that this man should be murdered when he could be. And she knew that he was going to do it and directed him to do it. 
and by arrangement between them, he was doing it. The jury of 12, consisting of 11 men and one woman, made their decision. It took them just two hours. Edith Thompson was found guilty of murder, conspiracy to commit murder, soliciting murder, inciting murder, attempted poisoning and the attempted administration of broken glass. On December 11th, 1922, she was sentenced to death, as was her lover, Frederick Bywaters, who was also found guilty. After the trial, Edith Thompson's counsel was quoted as saying that his client was being hanged for her immorality. This was an opinion most people agreed with. There was strong support for this theory, as Sir Bernard Spilsbury's autopsy report stated there was no poison or traces of broken glass detected in the victim's body. Many believed Edith Thompson's writings to Frederick Bywaters, specifically the way she might dispatch her husband, were nothing but fantasy, inspired by the book she read. There was no physical evidence to prove she acted upon a desire to end Percy Thompson's life. As the weeks passed and the public support to see Edith Thompson's sentence commuted to life in prison grew, appeal posters were placed in cinemas, tube stations and theatres. Over one million people would eventually sign a petition. In the days before the internet, this was a huge accomplishment. Edith Thompson's mother, Ethel Graydon, even wrote directly to King George V, hoping he could do something to overturn her daughter's conviction. But unfortunately, the petition and the appeals held no sway, and it did nothing to stall or stop Edith Thompson's execution. Similarly, Frederick Bywater's mother Lillian also wrote to the king asking him to review her son's death sentence. She included her husband's war record as a way to persuade him. Lillian mentioned Frederick Bywater's refusal to allow his lawyers to pin the blame on Edith Thompson and the fact his father was not around. Lillian also shifted the blame for her son's actions onto Edith Thompson. Frederick Bywater's mother wrote, Had my poor boy had a father to advise him, this terrible thing would never have happened. He has always been the best of sons to me, but like many other boys of his age, he fell under the spell of a woman many years older than himself who has brought all this terrible suffering on him. January 8th, 1923. The night before Edith Thompson was set to go to the gallows, 
her parents visited her one last time. Her father bent to kiss his daughter on the head. You will be at home at last tomorrow night, he said. Thompson had spent most of her time pacified with drugs. But before her execution, she had managed to get her finances in order. A prison officer and a solicitor witnessed the writing of her will. She had kept it simple and to the point, under 150 words in all. All her money and worldly possessions were to be left to one person. Snippets in local newspapers quietly announced that along with Frederick Bywaters, Edith Thompson would be hung for the murder of her husband. She had been subdued with so much morphia, strychnine and scopolamine she had to be lifted to the gallows. Edith Thompson was executed at Holloway Prison while Frederick Bywaters was killed at HMP Pentonville. There had not been a public execution of a woman in over a decade and a half, and the events were so traumatic that hangman John Ellis took his own life nine years later. Tragically, it has been questioned whether the hanging was legal, as it was possible that Edith Thompson could have been pregnant at the time. The internal examination element of the post-mortem had no information submitted. The doctor left it blank. But it was said Thompson had a massive hemorrhage after she was put to death. Biographer Renee Weiss spoke about Thompson's case in 2018 and said, She put on a stone during her last month in Holloway while hardly eating at all. She'd had sex with her lover in Wanstead Park, Ilford, the morning of Saturday the 30th of September 1922. After her death, it was made public knowledge where Edith Thompson's estate went. With her husband murdered, she was said to have left £600, about £30,000 in today's money, to her next of kin, Ethel Jessie Graydon, Edith's mother. So where are we now? The story of Percy Thompson, his wife Edith and her lover Frederick Bywaters has remained in the public consciousness even after all these years. In 2001, a film called Another Life was made about the affair and murder. It has been reported that Edith Thompson's mother passed away in January 1938. It was her dying wish for her daughter to be reburied with her at a family grave. As Thompson had been laid to rest in Holloway Prison, despite repeated requests, her family were not permitted to visit the grave. 
However, Holloway Prison was rebuilt in 1971. In the process, Edith's remains needed to be removed. They were taken to Brookwood Cemetery in Surrey. Her sister Avis, who was then elderly, was not informed about the removal for many years. It was only decades later in November 2018 that distant relatives and Professor Renee Weiss, who wrote the book Criminal Justice, The True Story of Edith Thompson, successfully lobbied the Home Office requesting that Edith's remains be moved. Her body was exhumed and now rests with her family in the City of London Cemetery. Speaking about Edith Thompson, Professor Weiss told a reporter for The Sun newspaper in 2018. Edith was hopelessly romantic, lost in books and not always realising that life and literature are two very different things. Thank you for listening, and a special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.